Just as we dive in, it's just really neat to, to see uh, John said as he was beginning us leading worship that uh, you know he was a heroin addict and and uh, uh, 11 years ago my life was just so overtaken by an addiction to alcohol and you wouldn't even recognize the, the person I was and just to see how God redeems to see how God restores and that's really what we're going to be looking at this morning and so when Pastor Jonathan emailed me uh, about preaching this week. He, he gave me a list of, of passages that I could choose from. And as I looked over that list, my eyes quickly zoned in on Genesis 32 when Jacob wrestles with God. Jacob has, has really become one of my favorite character studies. Uh, and it's not because he is impressive in any way or he's uh, particularly overly faithful uh, or, or someone that I really want to emulate. Uh, in fact, it's quite the opposite. Uh, I've been drawn to Jacob because as I've studied his story, as I've looked over his life, I have come to find out that I am Jacob. And in fact, let me start out, out, out of the gate leaning heavy in on all of you. Not only am I Jacob, but you are Jacob. And I think uh, the church as a whole has done a real great disservice to itself by taking biblical narratives and turning them into nothing but a moralistic tale. Uh, we take Bible stories and, and we, and we want to have faith like Abraham, or we want to have courage like Daniel, we want to have heart like David. And when we take these stories and just make them a tool of moralism, we miss the richness of the narrative. Uh, this morning I was, I was working out and, and I kind of had this illustration and, and I don't ever really go off of notes, and, and, uh, but I thought of this illustration from Seinfeld and, and I'm having a hard time now saying that the spirit led me into this and I'm going to do a Seinfeld uh, <laughs> reference. But there's this Seinfeld episode where Jerry gets his father a wizard organizer and it's this organizer that does all these things. He can plan his, his day, he can plan his month, and his father only uses it for what? For a tip calculator. He just uses it for a tip calculator. And so when his father finds out that Jerry paid over $200 for this, he, he says, you paid $200 for a tip calculator? And Jerry says, it does other things. And this is really what I want to lean into. Like when you read, a, when if you're preparing for a Sunday school lesson or you're reading through the Old Testament uh, and, and, you're, and your temptation is to, to say, hey, you have faith like Abraham, uh, have a picture of me or have a picture of Jerry Seinfeld going, it does other things because there's so much more there. There's so much richness there. Here's what's true of me and here's what's true of you. We are terrible terrible rule followers. All of us. Uh, even when we know the rules or we know the law, uh, we can deceive ourselves in ways in which we can justify not following them. And I think we can look at uh, King David. Uh, King David commits adultery. Uh, he commits adultery. He, uh, to cover up his sin, to cover up his adultery, he commits murder. And after all of that, he commits adultery he then commits murder. After that, he's quite okay with himself. Uh, he has Bathsheba then move in with him, and he kind of just goes about his life. And then the prophet Nathan approaches him, and the prophet Nathan tells him a story. He tells him a narrative. 
and it engages David's heart. It engages his mind. And so this is 2 Samuel 12. This is not our passage, but I, I want to read it as an example. 2 Samuel 12, and it says, And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are the man. This story that the prophet Nathan tells engages David's heart. It engages his emotions. If you're like me, as you, I read the story over and over again, and you're enraged by the story. It, it brings up emotion in you, and it did that for David, and it's able to break through. It's able to break through David's self-justification. It's able to break through his blindness that we all struggle with. And David is finally broken by his sin. And in verse 13, he cries out, I have sinned against the Lord. And so this is my hope for us this morning. This is my hope for us today. That as we engage with this familiar passage in Genesis 32, is, as we engage with this familiar narrative, that we would allow it to penetrate our hearts that we would allow it to, to give ourselves an accurate view of ourselves, and that we would allow, it, allow ourselves to behold the goodness and the beauty of God. And so if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Genesis 32. Genesis 32, I'm going to start in verse 22. The same night he, that's being Jacob, arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream, and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. 
But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning, and we just ask you to open our hearts. Lord, we all come here carrying different burdens. Lord, so I ask if we are here this morning and we are hurting. Lord, life is difficult. Life is heavy. Lord, that as we dive into this passage, you would use it to lift our face and to encourage our hearts that you are with us, that you love us, that you'll never leave us or forsake us. Lord, some of us have come in here and think we're doing pretty well. Lord, are relying on our own efforts, are relying on our own wisdom. Lord, would you use this passage to humble us? Would you use this passage to see, help us to see our need for you? Help us to see your goodness. Lord, but most importantly, it is your kindness that leads us to repentance. Lord, so may we get a glimpse of your kindness and your grace for us this morning. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so before we dive deep into the, this particular passage, we, we really need to lay some groundwork. Uh, there is a theme throughout of all of Scripture of blessing and curses. And if we're going to understand the story of Jacob, if we're going to understand the request of Jacob in this passage for, for God to bless him, he holds on to God and says, and, and says, I'm not going to let go until you bless me. If we're going to understand that request, uh, we, we need to be aware of this theme of blessings and curses. And so God creates Adam and Eve, and we see in Genesis 1.28, it says, And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and sub subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And so blessing comes from God. And biblically, blessing means abundance. It means multiplication. It means flourishing. It means stewardship. Adam and Eve were put in paradise and given everything they need in abundance. There was no scarcity. There was blessing all around. And curse is the opposite. Curse is when life folds in on itself. It's, it's scarcity, it's instability, it's relational conflict, and it's ultimately death. And God warns Adam and Eve that there is one tree in the garden that will lead to scarcity, that will lead to death, that will bring on curse. And in Genesis 3, we see Adam and Eve being deceived into thinking there is more to be had than the blessing from God. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil represents dependence upon God. That, that, that phrase, knowledge of good and evil, if you see its context throughout Scripture, it said that 
young people don't have it and older people lose it. And really what, it, what it's talking about is it's independence. And so this tree uh, represents independence from God. And so the serpent comes and offers a way to receive blessing apart from the dependence uh, that Adam and Eve have on God. And Adam and Eve grasp at it. They take the way of the serpent, they believe the serpent, they take the way of the serpent and grasp at blessing instead of receiving the abundance that was already given to them and already promised to them. And this theme then continues throughout all of Scripture. We see in Genesis 12 with Jacob's grandfather, Abraham, God says to him, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so God blesses Abraham, and he gives him this abundance. He gives him this flourishing. He gives them him this stewardship. And as we read through, if you read through Abraham's story, we see there are times where he receives God's blessing and he trusts in his promises, and there are other times when he does not. There are times when Abraham takes the way of the serpent and grabs that blessing for himself and then brings forth curses. God promised Abraham that he was going to be a father of the nations. Uh, the problem was is that he was childless, and so God promises Abraham, you're going to be a father. But after 20 years of waiting, Abraham and, and Sarah take the way of the serpent and, and had Abraham sleep with Sarah's maidservant Hagar, and they bear a child named Ishmael. And so Abraham was just this mixed bag of receiving and waiting on God's blessing and also grasping at blessing through the way of the serpent. Now, I said all that to set up the fact that two generations later, Jacob is born. And the story of Jacob is the story of a man who always takes the way of the serpent. Jacob is always grasping at blessing. Jacob was born the younger son of a pair of twins. His brother Esau was the older brother. And culturally, the older brother Esau, he would receive the family blessing. So he would receive the larger inheritance. He would steward the family name. He would have the abundance. But before Jacob is born, his mother Rebekah hears from the Lord and, and, and God tells her that Jacob, the younger son of the twins, will be the one who will be blessed. And Genesis 25, uh, 21 through 26 says this, And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her and she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to acquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb, 
The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Jacob was promised the blessing of God and comes out of the womb grasping for it. He comes out of the womb grabbing at his brother's heel to pull him back in so he could get out first. And Jacob is the heel grabber. That's actually what his name means. Uh, In fact, the name indicates grabbing someone by the heel in order to trip them up or to, to hinder them or to betray them. And Jacob then spends a lifetime living down to this name. He was promised the blessing of God, but spends his life deceiving and manipulating his way to try and obtain it. And Jacob's story today is a mirror. Jacob, God through Jacob this morning is holding up a mirror to me. He's holding up a mirror to you. And he's asking us, where are you trying to find abundant life apart from me? Where are you trying to find the abundant life that has been promised? In a setting like this, if I ask the question, who thinks abundant life, who thinks blessing is found only in relationship with God? I'm sure almost everyone's hand in this room would go up. Intellectually, we, we have no problem with this. We, we know this. But I want to lean into us this morning. God is after our hearts this morning. And he's asking you this morning, where are you trying to find blessing? Where are you grasping at blessing? Jacob embraced the way of the serpent in order to obtain blessing. First, we read Jacob deceives Esau out of his birthright. In Genesis 25, Jacob takes advantage of a hungry and exhausted Esau and gets him to sell him his birthright for a bowl of soup. In verse 29 of Genesis 25, it says, Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, Let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore his name was called Edom. Jacob said, Sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Jacob, in this story, takes on the actual role of the serpent here. And as we read this story, it should conjure up images of the deception that happened in the Garden of Eden. In fact, the reference to the name Edom there is purposeful as it's similar to the Hebrew word for for man, uh, Adam, Adam. And so Jacob deceives Edom, Adam, Adam, into trading his birthright, trading his abundance, trading his inheritance to feed his stomach for a bowl of stew. Jacob grasps at blessing through the deception of Esau. Jacob then takes it a step further and with the help of, from his mother deceives his then blind father Isaac into giving him his brother's blessing. In an even a more elaborate plan, 
Jacob dresses up like his brother and presents his father with a meal that, that Isaac had asked Esau to prepare. And when his suspicious father asks how he was able to hunt and kill the game so quickly, Jacob says to him, because the Lord your God made it happen for me. Deception. And Isaac falls for the ruse and he blesses Jacob. And Esau returns to be blessed only to find out that it had been stolen from him. And he declares this in Genesis 26, 36. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he's cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. And Esau is full of rage, and he vows that he's going to kill Jacob. He says in Genesis 27, 41, Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. And so Jacob goes on the run. And Jacob ends up going and staying with his uncle Laban. And he plans to return home when his mother tells him it's safe to return home. But year after year after year goes by and no word from home. And Jacob ends up spending 20 years in exile in Haran with his uncle Laban. And during this time, Jacob the deceiver becomes the deceived and his relationship with his uncle becomes a picture of instability. It becomes a picture of relational strife. It becomes a picture of curses. In grasping at blessing and taking the way of the serpent, Jacob brings on curses. These two men, uh, Jacob and Laban, spend 20 years deceiving one another, tricking each other, each one trying to just squeeze as much blessing from each other as they can. Jacob's deception has brought about the way of the serpent, what the way of the serpent always does, scarcity, instability, relational strife. But God promised to bring Jacob back home. And God comes to Jacob in Genesis 31 and says, and it says, The Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be there, and I will be with you. And so we come to our narrative this morning, and we find Jacob on his way home. He's on his way home. He's on his way back to his family. He's on his way back to where he had fled his murderous brother. And if you read the first part of Genesis 32, you see that this is a man, Jacob is a man that is full of anxiety about the inevitable reunion he's going to have with a vengeful Esau. Reports come back to Jacob that Esau is actually looking to meet with him and that he's traveling around with this group of 400 men. And the Bible tells us that Jacob is greatly afraid and he's greatly distressed. And Jacob finally does something right. He prays. And he prays this beautiful prayer that repeats the promises of God back to him. But true to form, Jacob is also plotting. He comes up with this plan to, to split his camp in two so that if Esau attacks one of the camps, the other camp can escape. He then starts to send gift after gift ahead of himself to, to try to pacify and, and appease Esau. 
And so this is the state in which we find Jacob at the beginning of our passage. We find him desperate. We find him anxiety-riddled. We find him distressed. And we find him, our passage tells us in verse 24, we find him alone. Jacob is alone. How was that for an introduction? That was my intro. (laughs) So we're moving along good here. So look at me. Uh, Look with me at verse 24 in our passage in Genesis 32. It says, And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And this verse, as I read through this passage over and over again, this verse just gnawed at me. Uh, Jacob is left alone. And without any explanation, he's just in the midst of this wrestling match. It's just really a hard turn. Uh, Jacob is is alone, and then all of a sudden he's now just wrestling with some guy. If I'm the author of this story, I'd feel the need to, to explain the origin of this battle, to explain the origin of this wrestling match. But we, we just don't get it here. And I think that's, that's purposeful. We find out that this is not just some guy. This isn't some random assailant. This is God himself. And we get this abrupt introduction to the wrestling match because this is not the beginning of the fight. This wrestling, this wrestling match seems to pick up right in the middle of the fight because God is who Jacob has been wrestling all along. His whole life as he wrestled with blessing uh, with Esau, as he wrestled with his uncle Laban, as he strove in all his self-effort, he was really wrestling with God. And in this climax moment where all of Jacob's deception catches up to him, where choosing the way of the serpent has brought not blessing but curses, God puts on flesh and brings the fight out of the shadows and into the foreground. God is after Jacob. He wants to bless Jacob, and Jacob continues to try to find blessing elsewhere. And God has used circumstances. God has used relationships to bring him to this point where he finally finds himself grappling with the King of kings and Lord of lords. God has been patiently pursuing Jacob. He's been after his heart his entire life. And listen, friend, God is after you this morning. He wants to give you abundance. He wants to bless you. And so I'd ask you, are you grasping at blessing elsewhere? Are you looking for blessing through the ways of the serpent? Are you looking to find significance and safety in things that could never provide it? God is so committed to blessing you that he will take on flesh and blood and come after you. Look at verse 25. And this really is the most shocking verse. It says, When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Jacob and God wrestle all night And look what it says here. It says, the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob. God does not prevail against Jacob. What mercy, 
What grace. What Jacob deserved in this moment was a butt whooping. Jacob deserved divine wrath. Jacob deserved to be crushed. God is not wrestling Jacob to put him into submission. God is wrestling with Jacob to change his heart. This is a loving God. Chad Bird, he's an author and speaker. Uh, He wrote a book called Limping with God. I couldn't recommend it more. He says this, On this singular occasion, the Son of God slipped into a human frame for an overnight stay at the Jabbok, and with biceps and brawn, hands in heft, mingled his breath and sweat with the man who embodied the people of Yahweh. Though he was God, he emptied himself by taking the form of a human wrestler, manifesting himself in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by refusing to win the fight, even the fight with Jacob. This is a formation passage. God is shaping and God is molding Jacob. God condescends to his creation and engages in a fight not to strong arm his creation, but because he loves Jacob. He wants to bless him. God promised to bless Jacob, and Jacob just keeps striving, keeps grabbing for it. And so God, in an act of mercy, engages Jacob, and instead of crushing him, he faithfully and he lovingly wounds him. God touches Jacob's hip socket. He leaves Jacob wounded. He leaves Jacob weak. He leaves Jacob with this reminder of his need for God. How about you this morning? Where has God lovingly wounded you? Where has difficulty or pain come into your life to remind you of your need for him? There is not a day that goes by that I'm not thankful to God for my addiction. Uh, my addiction was painful. My addiction was costly. Uh, my, my addiction hurt a lot of people. It was just a dark time in my life. But it brought me to a place where I needed to cling to God and not let go. And we are so prone to self-delusion. We are so easily convinced like Jacob that we can get by in our own strength that we can create our own blessing. And God is just so lovingly faithful and he wisely weakens us. He places us in situations. He places us in relationships and locations that act as a painful and powerful reminder of our need for him. You know why? Because he wants to bless us. Look at verse 26. Then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. The morning has come and God tells Jacob to let go. Again, I can't stress enough the patience and the tenderness of God towards Jacob in this moment. And Jacob, injured, exhausted, desperate, refuses to let go. This is the posture of someone who is ready to receive. Jacob's desire in this passage is to be blessed. 
He wants the blessing that he spent a lifetime searching and striving for. And God, in this moment, asks him a question. And this is just a fun fact. Uh, God doesn't ask questions for his own benefit. God never asks questions because he is lacking information. This question is for Jacob. And I would contend this morning that this question is for us. Verse 27 says, And he said to him, What is your name? This is a heart question. This question is a mirror. It's a question that takes the focus off of Esau. It takes the focus off of Laban. It takes the focus off all the other extenuating circumstances going on in Jacob's life. It penetrates through all the worry. It penetrates through all the anxiety, all the fear that Jacob is experiencing. God asks, what is your name? This is a cutting question. And Jacob, in a moment of honesty, in a moment of self-realization, responds. Jacob. I am Jacob. I am the heel grabber. I am the trickster. I am the cheater. I am deceiver. This is a moment of humiliation. Jacob is humbled. And this is where blessing can begin. God gives grace to the humble. It is pride that grasps that blessing. It's, it's pride that chooses the way of the serpent, that eats of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that de declares its independence from God. And to receive God's blessing, we must be humbled. We must see our need for God. We must see the, the abundance and blessing that are found in his presence. The abundance of blessing is not found in financial stability. It's not found in the approval of others. It's not found in a comfortable life. It is found in the very presence of God. God wants to bless Jacob, but he needs Jacob to see himself accurately. You will never experience the abundant life God has for you if you have an inaccurate view of yourself. If you think that you bring something to the table. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who know their need. Blessed are those who know they have nothing to offer. Blessed are those who are spiritually poor. Blessed are those who know they are Jacob's. This is so important. We spend so much spiritual energy trying to present ourselves as something that we're not. And God is lovingly asking you this morning, what is your name? Allow God to show you your inadequacy. Embrace your poverty. It's the pathway to blessing. The life of discipleship is not about us getting stronger. Rather, it's about growing increasingly aware of our weakness and God's strength. Emptied of self, filled with Jesus. God then does what only God can do. In verse 28, then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. 
Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. God changes Jacob's name. Jacob humbly admits, I am deceiver. And God says, you are no longer a deceiver. I've given you a new name. You will now be Israel. And there are many scholarly renditions of what the name Israel means, but in the simplest form, it means God contender or or God fighter. Uh, In redemptive fashion, the heel grabber, the cheater, the trickster, the deceiver becomes the namesake for the people of God. Whenever you hear the Bible say the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, when you hear that say the God of Jacob, it should stir up praise in your heart. It should stir your heart to wonder because we have a God who redeems. He makes the deceiver the father of his chosen nation. Just like Jacob lived up to his name, the nation of Israel would as well. They contend with God. They, they fought with God. You see, the story of Jacob is the story of Israel. But this story points us forward. This small story of redemption gives us a window into the bigger picture of God's grand story of redemption. This story points us to the cross. As we gather here this morning and allow our hearts to be shaped and impacted by the story of Jacob, our hearts need to gaze forward to the cross. This story refuses to be a moralistic lesson. It refuses to be a tale on how to behave or respond in difficulty. It points us forward and it gives us ultimate hope. It preaches to our hearts that we have a God who condescends. We have a God who is near. We have a God who redeems. We have a God who blesses. He loves to bless. The story of Jacob won't dare let us forget that while we were sinners, while we were still Jacob's, while we were still choosing the way of the serpent, Christ died for us. That God did not keep his distance from all of us Jacob's, but he lovingly pursued us. In this story, we get a glimpse of the glory of God. It tells of his goodness, and that's what his glory is. His glory is his goodness. And it's the glory of God that changes us. His goodness chases us down and changes our names. Jacob's story is Israel's story. And it's also our story. The descendants of Jacob will also wrestle with God. And they will nail him to a cross. And Jesus, who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And it is in Christ and Christ alone that we are blessed. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for this mirror that we can look into and see 
ourselves. Lord, we're thankful that we can look at the life of Jacob and we can see the ways in which he just grasps that blessing in all his self-effort, in all his self-sufficiency. He could not obtain what he was looking for. Lord, but in your faithfulness, in your goodness, you pursued him. Lord, and we can read about his encounter with you on the banks of the Jabbok, where he was alone and desperate. Lord, and we can see ourselves. Lord, so this morning, help us to, with confidence, declare, I am Jacob. I am deceiver. I am heel grabber. Lord, that I've been looking for blessing. I've been looking for meaning and purpose. I've been looking for safety and significance and all in my own effort, Lord. May we look at this story and to see your love and faithfulness. Lord, that you're not interested in strong arming us into obedience, but you're after our hearts. That it's your kindness, it's your mercy, it's your grace that lead us to repentance. And so help us to encounter that this morning. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.